Welcome to the Maintaining Hope podcast. The Maintaining Hope podcast exists to look at how to maintain hope in an ever-changing world. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 13 of the Maintaining Hope podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and as always, I'm thrilled that you've decided to join us as we look at how to maintain hope in an ever-changing world. This week on the podcast, I'm excited to welcome a new friend of mine to the show. Mark Oxer is a podcast host, he's also an author, and he's also incredibly passionate about a sport that he was able to introduce me to a little bit and explain a little bit more about disc golf. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy this really, really interesting and informative conversation with my friend, Mark Oxer. Well, I am really excited and happy to welcome my new friend, Mark Oxer, to the podcast this week. Mark, it's really good to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's, I'm really excited to be here and uh, really excited about this opportunity to connect with you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. So Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself and how are you spending your time these days? Well, uh, lately I've been spending it in a minivan driving across Canada. But <laughs> um, yeah, uh, like I said, uh, like playing disc golf. Uh, I play board games, uh, listening to some audiobooks. I know that with what's happening with quarantine, we're not able to get outside quite as much. Um, but we're still able to get out and do a few things. I played a couple of rounds of disc golf lately. Uh, still managed to play board games, a couple that I played with my wife. And then uh, my friends and I got creative and figured out ways that we could play some uh, some games via Zoom as well. So that was pretty fun. Uh, I'm in seminary right now as well, studying for leadership and management and then working on my own online business. Um, but have spent the last year of my life living in... Let me think about this now. Five countries and two different provinces. <laughs> so it's been it's been pretty fun. Uh, I know that COVID has been a struggle for a lot of people, and for myself and my wife, there's been a lot of blessings in the season. Um, and so we just want to try to share those blessings with other and perspective with others on that as well, and help maybe tell our story about how, yeah, yeah. So. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Uh, so Mark, when you open up your Bible, uh, what does the word hope mean to you? Ah, uh, that's a great question. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad that you, you sent me some questions ahead of time, uh, to think about them. Cause I was just like, man, I was like, I'm like, these are some really good questions. And it wasn't just for the podcast that I was, I sat down and I started thinking about these questions, not just for the, and as I was going through, I was like, man, these are questions. This is a question that I probably need to think more about. Uh, I'm in, like I said, I'm in seminary right now, but I'm studying leadership and management. So most of what we're studying has to do with like how to lead people, how to coach people, how to uh, a lot of stuff like we've taken like board governance courses and, and those types of things through seminary. So it's not quite as much from the theological perspective, Mm -hmm. this is definitely one of those questions where no like this is if you look at scripture that the word hope is is in there a lot right and at least think like faith hope and love right is yeah um like and it's in there with like that's a big one like when we look at what what the bible says about faith and what the bible says about love there's a lot of stuff in there that we need to take to 
to heart into daily applications. And if we go, okay, so if the Bible is categorizing hope with these two statements of faith and love, then there's something that we really need to take, uh, take note of here. Right. So, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, when I was thinking about it, um, what came to mind, and I think this is applicable, uh, very applicable to what's going on in the world right now is the concept. And this was, I wish these are my own words because I like the way it's phrased, but it's not my own words. Um, that what, what looks like death can be your greatest victory. And so when I open up the Bible, there is multiple stories of uncertainty. Um, so what we're facing right now in the world is not the first time that humanity has faced uncertainty. And then as they open up the Bible, there is a ton of stories that speak to, to hope. Um, and like, like the ultimates of that being the manifestation of Christ's death and resurrection, right? Exactly. That would look like death it's become the greatest victory. And so uh, just that idea of hope in that, I mean, you think of Moses standing on the edge of the Red Sea, right? And the, the chariot sparing down him and the people going, Moses, what have you done to us? We're all going to die, yeah. right? And what looked like death ended up being their greatest victory when they crossed over and then the seas closed and the, uh, the army was crushed, right? And they're like, this, th those are two stories that just come right to mind. But if we go through scripture, there's tons of these things, right? Like, you think about them standing around the camp and blowing their trumpets and they're, they're like, oh man, we can never defeat all these people. Yeah. They're like, I got this. What looks like death is going to be your greatest victory. And you're like, yeah. but how? And you're like, because. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And so for me, that's, uh, I think that's just, it comes through maybe not, obviously there is spoken word or written word, uh, like sort of defining hope, but it really comes through in the, in the stories throughout the Bible of, of that hope. Um, and that as we're struggling or going through different things in life, that, yeah, what looks like could be, what could be death for us is going to, could be our greatest victory and then trusting in Christ through that. Right. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. I, that's my first time hearing that quote, but I love that. <laughs> Your greatest victory. I mean, Man, that if that's not a mic drop moment, I don't know what is. That's, that's great. That's a that's profound. I mean, we could do a whole. I think we could do a whole podcast episode or series even on that. So yeah, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. That's really, yeah. really profound. So Mark, considering your biblical understanding, knowledge of what hope is, how does that play itself out in your day to day life? Walk me through that. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. So. It ties into what we what I was just talking about. So like the, the uh, again, I'm looking this up and wanting to really sort of process the questions that you had is that the, the definition of hope is like a feeling of expectation and desire for certain things to happen and a feeling of trust. And yeah. so even when I think about that, if I go back to the death and resurrection, right? The Christ is with the people before he dies. He's with them. He's like, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And then he dies and like, oh no, we screwed this all up. And you're like, dude, he's, he's like, he's told you he's coming back. Like, where's, come on. Right. Like, yeah. um, and so I, Hebrews 11, one, it says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. And I, that verse is often referred to with regards to the word faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, but I think if you reword that, and then it says faith is the assurance of things that are expected. Think hope or faith is the assurance of things 
that are certain to happen. Faith mm-hmm. is the assurance of things that are trusted. And I'm like, oh man, if that doesn't describe God's character, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so for me, that's where I think like looking at that word hope um, can come through in, in daily life. Now, something that has been, this is, I'm going to be real and honest with you on the podcast here. Please, that's okay. Please. please. Um, something that I've been struggling with is, um, is temporarily I'm back here in Winnipeg. I grew up just outside of Winnipeg here. My wife and I are currently, um, I'm not sure what the correct term is. I want to say redeployed or stationed, but it's not, we're not in the military, um, but my wife does move around for her job with currently. Uh, So we're currently stationed at the Winnipeg base um, for my wife's work. And for me, this is, this is a little bit of like, maybe I want to say I'm in Nineveh where I don't want to be here. (laughs) And I keep leaving. I keep leaving and I'm like, I got to get out of here. And then God keeps finding ways for me to come back here. And I'm like, Oh man, like this place drives me bonkers for, for a variety of different reasons. And so the a scripture that's often tied to, again, the word of hope is uh, Isaiah 40, 31, like rise up on wings like eagles. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was looking it up and I, there's not for, not for all scripture, but I really appreciate uh, sometimes it's the way the message translates things. Um, yeah. There's a translation of Romans 12 too that I really, really like. Uh, it talks about just getting up, getting on with your everyday life. And, uh, and I just really like the way it's, it's worded. And so the same thing here. So Isaiah 40, 27 to 31 for the message. And I read it and then I changed, I changed a couple of the words in it. Um, and it says, why would you ever complain, O Jacob? And as, as soon as I read that, I said, why would you ever complain, Mark? Yeah. Wow. And I was like, oh man, oh man, that just hit me like a ton of bricks as I was reading uh-huh. this. Like, yeah, I'm here, I'm here in Winnipeg. And yes, there's maybe things that I would like to complain about. And then I just read this and I said, so why would you ever complain, Mark? Or whine? Mm-hmm. God has lost saying God has lost track of me. He doesn't care what happens to me. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine he doesn't get tired out doesn't pause to catch his breath and he knows everything inside and out he energizes those who get tired he gives fresh strengths to dropouts for even young people tire and drop out young folk in their prime stumble and fall but those who hope in god get fresh strength they spread their wings and soar like eagles they run and don't go tired they walk and don't lag behind and i was just like oh man this is this is, yeah, this is, this spoke directly to me. Um, and so when I'm thinking about this and then how this looks is to answer your question, this is a long way to answer your question, but to go back, what this looks in daily life is to, to have energy, I think, right? And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I was listening to, um, listening to some of the other episodes that you had uh, was a friend of yours who's the pastor at uh, Kamloops Alliance Church. Um, oh yeah, Chris Jones. About, yeah. Sorry, yes. Yeah. Uh, he he was talking about being like uh, essentially like being like a false positive Christian in that you don't like just mm-hmm. you don't have to be happy and joyous and everything mm-hmm. positive all the time, right? Yeah. And absolutely, like as Christians, we still struggle. We still go through tough times. We still have frustrations, anger, disappointments, all those types of things. It doesn't mean that we're always going to be walking around 
and everything is sunshine and rainbows, right? Yeah. But it doesn't change the fact that God can and will re-energize us, right? Absolutely. And that give us that strength um, and that we can go through those situations with uh, a more positive or a hopeful outlook if you wanted to. And so for me, how it comes across is for daily life is to think about it. And what came to mind, and I don't know if all the listeners will um, catch on to this, but it's the Energizer Bunny, right? Yeah, is that totally, totally. Uh, that the hope, it says, but those who hope in God get fresh strength. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was just like, there's a lot of things right now that could be sapping my energy or like it says in the very first line, like, why are you whining on Jacob, right? Like, what are you complaining about Jacob? And there's a lot of things that I could go out there and complain about that are going to be energy sucking from me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be, what ends up happening is it's not just energy sucking for me, but then it becomes energy draining for my wife or my friends mm-hmm. or the people around me, right? And if I flip that around and go, okay, if those things are energy taking, what can, what are the things that can be energy giving? What could be energy giving for me? What can be energy giving for my wife? What could be energy giving for the people around me? Whether that's friends or whether that's somebody that I'm, that I see when I'm down walking down the street or whatever it happens to be. Right. And I think that that's where that hope comes from is that I can have positive, I can be positive um, in that, like I said, that energizer bunny, uh, because there's a lot of things that could be, especially right now, be dragging people down. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. And Mark, first and foremost, thank you for your honesty and your your, uh, vulnerability in sharing that. I, uh, I don't take that lightly. And I know when I trust that our listeners don't either. And uh, yeah, it, it's so like, I, I love that analogy with the Energizer Bunny because, you know, there's absolutely times when we're banging our hope drum and we are so, yeah. so, so stoked and excited and able and willing to, to do it. And it, yeah. it comes so, so easy. But then, you know, there's times like, uh, I just finished reading a really good book called The Energy Bus by John okay. Gordon. And uh, he talks about energy vampires. And, you know, like you had said, those things that, that sneak into our life and suck the energy and suck the joy. But, yeah. but I think what's so powerful and so profound and so beautiful is, is that when we look at hope, when we possess that hope in Jesus, on those days yeah. when we're banging our energy, when we're banging our hope drum, and on those days mm-hmm. when we're done, Jesus is still who he says he is and we are still who, who he says we are. Right. And you know, like things like that, like, yeah, that's so profoundly hope giving and hopeful. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There, I heard my pastor say this a couple of times uh, during this COVID time. Um, but he always says, well, if this, if that, if this, if that, but at the end of the day, God is still God. Mm. Right. Absolutely. And there's just, yeah. So like, yeah, it's just uh, it's that that just that concept of like, okay, what if, what if this happens, or what if that happened, or what if, mm-hmm. or this, that, and the other. Well, at the end of the day, God is still God, right? Absolutely, yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So, Mark, yeah. what are what are some of your best practices from a spiritual disciplines standpoint? Like, this could be daily, this could be weekly, monthly, quarterly. Um, what are some of your best practices in keeping your hope and maintaining it? Again, another awesome question. 
Um, for myself, I really enjoy listening to, I get, I get a lot of life from listening to others. Mm. Um, and so I tend to listen to, uh, audiobooks, uh, podcasts. Um, so spending, if I'm spending time driving, even I'm spending time on the snowblower, uh, or whatever it happens to be spending all time outside. Um, I tend to, I do a lot of listening. Uh, there's a few people that I, I listen to that have been encouraging for me from that perspective. Um, wanting to, uh, my wife and I try to do our best to engage in prayer time together uh, as well. And I think that there's value in, our, in praying together mm-hmm. and just the unity of that of praying together Absolutely. with my wife. Uh, we're currently going through a series with our church where our church has, we're all using the same uh, Bible app uh, on our phones. Cool. And as a church, we're all going through a 21 day um, plan on actually how to pray. Um, and so it's been really cool that we're starting off the new year. Uh, we're doing a 21 day fast together as a church. And then uh, every day of that as well, uh, there's a different reading plan from uh, from the Bible app talking about how to pray. And so that's just been, it's been really good. Today's reading was on petition, uh, just petitioning cool. God. Um, yeah. And so that was, that was really cool. Um, the other thing that's been, that I've actually sort of been contemplating about is um, I know that a lot of people spend time in, in quietness with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like I said, in seminary, one of the, one of the courses that I just finished completing was spiritual formation. It's a course that everybody has to take. So there's a, everybody has to take spiritual formation course, New Testament course, Old Testament course as part of, doesn't matter what program you're in. Mm-hmm. So I, we just finished doing a spiritual formation course and we talked through that, through the course, uh, we talked about spiritual disciplines and uh, one of those being like, like a meditation. And I've just been, I've been really thinking about that a lot like so the past prior to this like so the last three months of my life i've been living in a uh, caribbean island and it was an amazing experience we were literally 40 meters from a beach on the ocean um, Ooh, wow. and every night we would go down and watch sunset and it was just it was one of those things where it was like okay every night i look at the clock and I'm like oh it's six o'clock and i'd run downstairs like it was literally just like running like running downstairs and i was on the beach staring out onto the ocean watching the sunset and um if my wife wasn't at work she we'd go down there together and we'd just sit there in quietness we wouldn't talk to each other we'd just sit there in quietness and watching the sunset and um i was trying to work on intentional like meditation during that time Mm -hmm. Uh, just in really just absorb the peacefulness of like you can hear the waves crashing and just watching the sun setting and just really being in God's presence with the beauty of what he's providing there and trying to quiet the mind and and just really listen to what he has to say and for me that is something that is really difficult to do um my mind is going a thousand miles an hour all the time like one of the things that my wife says she likes about me is my creativity and my ideas because but they're just like it's constant yeah and so I feel like I have this, but it's, it's hard because, uh, I have, it's, for me, it's not noise. It's just normal. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think at the same time, it can also be distracting me, uh, from, from being able to hear what God has to say. Um, cause I truly believe that he speaks to in whispers more. So he's not going to be somebody who's yelling and 
and stomping his feet and trying to get our attention in that respect. And not that those things haven't happened throughout history, but for the most part, God is going to want to speak to us in the, in a still small voice. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but because of all the noise that I have around me, uh, because for me, that's almost a comfort thing as well. Like uh, I've, I sometimes sit and when I'm working on writing some of my papers for my master's, I have Netflix going and I actually feel like I can think better and focus better and process better. Whereas if I'm in the room and the TV's off and it's quiet, I'm like, this is weird. I don't like this. I need noise. I need noise. I need noise. Right. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that I've been trying to sort of process as to the quietness um, and how to utilize that quietness. Um, and so there's a couple of things like going, just going for a walk um, has been good. Uh, playing disc golf has been part of that journey as well. Uh, because you're mm -hmm. outside in the, in the wilderness. Um, mm -hmm. I've spent, again, I'm not sure how many, how many listeners would be able to relate to this or understand it, but uh, in Canada, we have a job called tree planting, where it's mostly university students that go out in the spring and summer, and they get paid piecework to plant trees in usually northern regions of, of Canada. Mm -hmm. So I spent 12 summers of my life doing that, which allowed me to go through school and basically have no debt, which was great. But oh. you're wandering around for 10, 12 hours in the wilderness by yourself every day. And so I have had a lot of conversations with God during that time. <laughs> oh, yeah, wow. Um, but that practice has somewhat left because I don't spend that time outside alone uh, anymore. And so I know like uh, my pastor goes for a walk uh, just by himself to connect with God on a regular basis. And that's something that I'm looking at how I can integrate into my practice. Um, or my spiritual discipline, I guess, if you want to look at it from that perspective. For, for myself, one of the ways that I've been trying to do so is that I want to uh, include more, how do I word this now? Uh, mobility uh, type of movements into my physical training. Okay. And yep. so what I've been doing is using, I'm hesitant to use the word because I know that not everybody agrees, but I'm using some yoga practices and what i say by that has just been using like the poses and the stretches um okay. mm -hmm. from from that to work on my mobility and so what i've been doing is going through um like a 20 minute stretching routine mm -hmm. with calming music playing and then using that time to work on some physical training yep. but then because of trying to have that like calming sort of meditative uh, piece to it and then being able to use that to just go okay what what is going on god what do you have for me to say have to say to me during this time um and so that's where i've been trying to integrate it a little bit more is because for me that feels like a practical way to implement it where i can go okay this is a time where let's calm the music down a little bit let's calm the mind and the heart and everything down a little bit and be a little bit more open because yeah. that's not my natural personality. My natural state of being is very like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's that's for me is where I've been trying to sort of integrate it into more of a daily, a daily piece is when I can actually sort of intentionally try to settle my mind and the environment around me to be quieter so that I can hear the the still small voice. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. And it, it is always such a challenge. You know, we are, we are in a world that loves more and loves consumption and loves that pursuit yeah. of 
of more and bigger and better and louder. And yeah, there, yeah, there absolutely is so, so much good in, in stillness and silence, but it's also yeah. really, really hard too. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now Mark, I know that you are someone who deeply values your health. Uh, yeah. Walk, walk us through in what ways does your, does your physical health uh, impact your ability to maintain your hope in Jesus? Yeah. Uh, I thought a long time about this question. Um, awesome. And yeah, it, it was, it was really good. I thought a long time about this question um, and it was really interesting. And I was like, man, like how does my, my spiritual and physical health connect together right and so i know like if we if we look in timothy it talks about how spiritual or physical training is good but uh spiritual training is better mm-hmm. right and so i don't think anybody's going to question that no and i said but then when you phrased it again in that term of what how does it connect to hope and i was like oh man that is a really interesting question and i really thought about this and uh i sent you some information uh, just on it. And I think for me, this is where my mind, when I read this and when I was going through this, I was, it was like a huge light bulb moment for me and going, yes, this articulates exactly what was going on in my brain, but I couldn't find the words for it. Um, yeah. So, uh, maybe, and this is partly also how my brain operates is I'm, I'm interested in the research. I just, uh, I finished writing, uh, another book about, uh, lifting and, uh, working out and what have you. There was like, I think there was five to six pages of references because I'm constantly looking into the That's research awesome. and, and and looking yeah. into those things. And so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I started, I, I kind of wanted to dig into it a little bit as well. And I go, well, like, what's going on here? Because there must be something connected to this as well. And this, mm-hmm. for me, this, I found this information that it really, I feel like articulates um, what's going on in my mind. And so if you're okay, I'm just going to share it. Um, yes, please, please. So, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there was a study done uh, talking about benevolent images of God and gratitude and physical health status. Uh, and it was done through the Journal of Religion and Health. Uh, and this article is from 2015. But the summary sort of of the article was that persons who attended religious services more often or received, or sorry, and received more spiritual support from their members of the congregation had a more benevolent image of God. And uh, I'm not, if, if, some, if somebody doesn't know what the word benevolent means, it means that like a positive or kind or sort of a, a, a good outlook on who God is. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So those are the more uh, benevolent image of God were more grateful to God. Those who are more grateful to God experience more hope and the greater hope was associated with better self rated health and physical, fewer physical symptoms. And I was like, okay, that is, that's crazy that, how our view of God and then looks our view of God changes our perspective on gratefulness and then our perspective of gratefulness changes our perspective and our experience of hope and then our hope changes our how we our self-perception from health and then ultimately that has uh, like a, a true physical manifestation of being in a more healthy situation I was just like yeah, absolutely. This is so crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, yeah, so they summarized it by saying the foundation of views that people have of God may have important health consequences. And I was like, okay, that's that's cool. But 
um, it can it go deeper than that. And this is where for me, it got really, really cool. It says uh, that this is one of the first case studies conducted uh, in a national sample within the United States of US adults to show that person's view of God may impact their physical health. Again, the cross-sectional structure of the sample prevents statements about the direction of the cause. And this is where it gets, this part got really cool for me. It says, yeah. therefore, better physical health may also generate hope. And then that, that hope, greater hope may cause more gratitude to God. More gratitude to God may result in a more benevolent God. And I was just like, yes, this is the, yeah. this is where I was, where somebody was able to articulate what was going on in my mind. And that yeah. the idea of that better physical health actually contributes to greater hope. And then that greater hope gives us a, a different attitude of gratitude towards God. Mm. And then that attitude of gratitude allows us to have a, a different image of God. And then if we flip that again, now I've got a greater image of God that it plays into yeah. this and it plays into this. And it's, so it's just like, you've got this cyclical cycle now that is, uh, it's, it's self-feeding, but in a positive way, totally. right? Totally. And it's like, okay, right? And I know that, I know that it, I know for me personally, it, it makes a difference, right? So because I've moved around a lot in the last um, two, three weeks and had to spend a couple of weeks in quarantine, once we arrived back in Canada, we were, we had to spend two weeks in quarantine and get tested a couple of times while we were here to make sure it was safe for us to be here and travel back to Manitoba and what have you. And I was like, oh man, like I haven't probably worked out now in a few weeks. And um, this is like, it starts, it does start to weigh on me mentally, right? Yep, totally, totally. Um, and then that starts to play into other things, like how I think about myself, how I feel about myself, and then mm -hmm. how those things, and then that's going to, it's going to start affecting like, oh, like if this is how I'm feeling about myself, then, then that's maybe where I start to use some of those complaining words rather than some of the positive words. Yeah. And then it just starts to feed into a negative cycle, right? Whereas if we flip that on its head and I'm like, man, like I feel strong, I feel confident. I'm like, I'm really glad I got a good workout in. And like, that makes, brings out some of that positivity, which gives me a better attitude, which then gives yeah. me more hope, which then starts to like, totally. right. And so for myself, I think that that's really where um, this ties into uh, my hope my hope in Christ is that um, is that it's correlated and intertwined um, in such a in such a foundational way uh, as it's described. Like I said, these words just put together what was going on in my mind, and I was super appreciative of that. I haven't seen it articulated this way before, um, and when I when I read it, it was like like I said that light bulb moment that just went on. I was like, boom! Like yes, this is it. This is what I. This is it right here. So. Totally. And what's so interesting too, Mark, after, after hearing you share that and just kind of thinking for myself, it's so holistic too. Like, yeah. you know, it's one thing impacts the next, impacts the next, impacts the next. Um, yeah. And yeah, just, just really, yeah, really, really fascinating and just really interesting and unique and really, really cool how, how we're wired like that and the opportunities yeah. that that presents, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally. So Mark, just to transition a little bit, um, you have a very diverse and eclectic. <laughs> I, when I first met you on Instagram, seeing that you, uh, you have 
your hat in a lot of different rings. And I think that is really, really cool. And I want to transition into talking about a few of those things uh, a little yeah. bit. So Mark, I know part of your story in the past is uh, you had spent a lot of time in coaching athletes. And uh, I'm really curious to know, where does your where does your hope in Jesus show up in those interactions with these athletes? Yeah. How did it, I should say. No, yeah, well, I, I'm blessed that I still get the opportunity to connect with some athletes. Um, oh, awesome. Okay, okay, so, cool. Yeah, that's not in the same way, not in the same capacity. Uh, being, I was, have had the privilege of serving as a full-time collegiate strength conditioning coach, being responsible for 200 athletes at a time. Uh, and then also having the opportunity to have served in some other capacities as a coach. Uh, right now, those has changed a little bit. Uh, but I, like I said, I do have still connection with several athletes. Um, not, not influential in the same way as that I'm writing their programs and connecting with them, um, but still being able to have an impact in their lives as far as encouragement and, and that type of thing. And I think that, this, that even that is part of how I've tried to express some of that hope. Um, is through, like I, I, met, I touched on it briefly and it was unintentional, but uh, the idea of what like Romans 12, two says, right? Is that to mm -hmm. be out of the world and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so part of how I've tried to do that as a coach is to, through my actions is to live differently and be able to show the athletes that I'm connected to that there's a God who loves them and desperately wants to be their friend. And- Wow, yeah. I again, I wish I could take credit for those words, but um, wow. that's not, those aren't my words. That was a summer camp director that I worked under for uh, several years. And that was his, his Monday morning speech to us was always the same. Mm. Those kids are getting off those bus and they're going to show up here in a few minutes. And when the end that those kids need to know is there's God who loves them and desperately wants to be their friend. Yeah. Wow. And so that was always our encouragement to start the week of summer camp as a, when we were working as camp staff and counselors and what have you. And so I think I've carried that with me forward as well is that my interactions with these athletes needs to be in such a way that they know that I care about them, mm -hmm. but more so that there's also a, a heavenly father that cares about them. And because of my relationship being a strength conditioning coach, uh, it's a little bit different than being a head coach of a team. So I have been the head coach of a team. I have coached, uh, been a head coach for soccer teams as well. Mm -hmm. And the position is different. So when I'm the head coach, athletes are more reluctant to tell me about injuries or tell me about this or tell me about that or tell me what's going on more in their personal lives because they're worried about how it's going to potentially affect their playtime. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When I transition and I become a strength conditioning coach, now I'm on their side more so than they're trying to like appease me and be like, oh, I need to make a coach happy so I get playtime. Oh, yeah. The athletes yeah, yeah. now, the relationship that the athletes have with me are now, you can help me be successful but you can only do that if I'm totally honest with you. So I need to tell you that I'm broken here so that you can help get me stronger or fix me here so that I can get play time. But totally. the only way that works is that if you're truly honest with me, right? So if you're telling me that, oh, I feel fine, but you're not feeling fine, I can't help you, right? Yeah. Whereas when you come to me and say, you know what? Like, I'm really struggling with this. I don't have, I got to get my vertical up or I got to do this and this and this. And what that's done is through the athletes being able to be honest with me, through what's going on within their their own little piece of the puzzle and how strength conditioning uh, affects that or is connected to it is that it's opened the door to a more of a relationship with them where I can say hey you know what like 
what's going on in your life? Like, okay, so this is happening. Like, what is, tell me about like, when we're able to have some of these other conversations about what's going on in your life. And if it's a student athlete, maybe it's academically, maybe it's going on with like boyfriend, girlfriend or those types of things. Totally. And it's really allowed the door to be open to express like, and have an open conversation about, about faith. And I've had athletes just flat out say to me like, Hey, like coach Mark, like I haven't heard you swear. Like all the other coaches in the, on campus are constantly swearing. Yeah. I've never heard you swear. Right. And I was like, well, that's because I have, I choose to have a different mindset towards things. And I think part of that is communicated as well Mm -hmm. from a more, maybe, I don't know if practical perspective is the right way to look at it is when I have been a coach um, and this translates, <laughs> this translates into some of how I play board games as well, but we'll stick to the coaching piece for at the moment. But <laughs> I, I always have a hope that the impossible is possible. Mm. So I've traditionally uh, coached uh, underdog teams. So I've coached teams that have uh, been in really tough situations uh, and for me, it's exciting to be in those situations because there's nowhere to go but up. And I so I, I'm willing to take on those challenges that, uh, yeah. I mean, I came into a position to coach a collegiate team at one point where within the first semester, the team had had three coaches quit on them in the first Ooh. semester. And I was Ooh. like, oh my gosh, right? And so I came in, I got the job, I started in January, uh, I met with the team and I said, here's the deal. I know you guys had three coaches quit on you. I'm not going to quit on you. I said, but we're going to do things a little differently. I, I need you to trust in me mm-hmm. that we're, and I'm going to do something a little bit differently. And uh, we did things very differently for some of them. It was a bit of a uh, bit of a struggle. Um, yeah. But we went undefeated in the second wow. half of the season. <laughs> and people were like, how did you take these guys that three coaches have quit on prior to this and go undefeated? And I was like, because we, we trust in each other and our entire system of play is built on trusting each other. Um, and that I totally believe that it was possible um, where maybe others didn't see the possibility, right? And so I think that, that for me, there's some of that hope in that like, we could be down two goals with 10 seconds left in the game and I still think we can win. <laughs> um, so I'm always, I think I've always gone into coaching with, with hope that there's always an opportunity for an upset. There's always opportunity for a comeback. There's always opportunity to, to sort of never give up. And I think that that hope stems from when I was, when I, again, when I was processing the question, I think that that hope stems from the hope that I have in Christ and that the, the impossible is possible. Right. Mm -hmm. And that um, again, what looks like death can be your greatest victory. Right. And so the idea of that, there's hope here. And there, we don't have to be, we don't have to resign to, to quitting or to giving up or whatever it happens to be. And that's not always going to be manifested in a win on the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. That could be, that could be translated in a lot of different ways um, to have that, to have that come across as, as, as a positive. So, yeah. Totally. And I can only imagine too, the, the, the joy it must've brought you to be journeying with these guys that you know maybe other schools write them off or other coaches write them off and you know I imagine you're seeing such an insane amount of growth not only in the sport but also growth in that individual 
as a person, as a young man as well. And that's got to be super encouraging as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, that was one of my most memorable experiences as a coach that I've had. We, it was for the sport of futsal, which is the like an indoor version of soccer. It's the only sanctioned indoor version of soccer. uh, soccer. It's played four V four plus a goalkeeper. Um, and so the all-star team is made up of five players. The conference all the conference all-star team is made up of five players and three of them were from from our team right wow. and so we went for yeah it was uh, we had an incredible and people were just absolutely blown away did we have the best players and i've talked to the guys about this so this isn't gonna they're not gonna be upset by this did we have the best players absolutely not <laughs> we had was a team we had the best team yeah and that people couldn't break us yeah. right um and i mean there was other facets that that i utilized that are more from the coaching perspective outside of things but um yeah i just like i said the hope of like let's do this totally so totally yeah totally that's awesome uh and mark another thing that i know you're really really passionate about is uh disc golf uh and i know that you're also an ambassador uh with a group called eagles wings disc golf ministry uh tell us about how did you discover disc golf? Tell us about Eagle Wing, about Eagle's Wings, and how are you able to display your hope and share hope uh, while you're on while you're on the disc golf course? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, I was first introduced to disc golf. Now, let's think about this. I think it was around 2003. A friend of mine introduced me, and I went and played around. Uh, I just played with whatever couple of discs that he had. Went and yeah. played. Um, and that was it. I hadn't, didn't play it again until about 2013. So like 10 years went by, Oh wow! um, before I played it again. And then I played it again, just kind of like, again, just casually, I had like two discs. Um, I didn't really properly understand what they did. And I was like, man, I don't, these discs don't fly the way I think they should fly. And it yeah. wasn't quite as enjoyable. And I was like, what's going on here? But I was like, ah, oh, there's, literally a, a nine hole course across the street from my house uh when i was living wow. in alberta yeah there's a nine hole course uh across the street from my house so i went and played i don't know a couple times a couple times a month i would go and play and then i moved to moved back to manitoba uh for my wife's position here um and a buddy of mine was like hey you want to go play disc golf and i was like yeah he's got a couple discs i have a couple discs let's go try it and that's kind of where it really the switch the switch was flipped for the sport of disc golf. Um, we went out and it was like, oh man, that was really fun. I shot like plus 32, I think it was on my, <laughs> from the short tees on my, what what became my home course. I ended up playing 130 rounds on that course in the, <laughs> uh, that, that summer. Um, wow. Yeah. So, but what happened was like, oh man, that was really fun. And my buddy was like, yeah, that was fun. He's like, why don't we go online and see if we can print off some scorecards and just keep track of how our scores improve over the summertime. And the next day we're like, hey, do you want to go play disc golf? Yeah. So we played hey, the next day. Hey, do you want to go play disc golf? <laughs> and uh, it's turned into this, like we were playing every day. We started inviting more friends and we started uh, looking at like, getting different discs. And uh, if anybody who's ever tried the sport will completely understands that sort of once the bug bites you, it just, uh, or the rabbit hole, I guess, when you just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. So I got really into it. But part of what attracted me to the sport at the time as well is that I'd incurred a a traumatic knee injury. Uh, We were playing church league baseball. 
and I was running a kitchen pop fly in center field. My cleat caught the ground funny when I was at a full sprint and just blew my knee apart. Uh, and I, so I tore ACL, MCL, three tears of my meniscus. There was two avulsion fractures, punctures in the snowmobile capsule. It was just, Ooh. it was a huge disaster. Yeah. Um, so I got an MRI done. I sat down in the, uh, in the office of the doctor once the MRI results came back. And the guy who was uh, giving me my results back is the same uh, the same doctor that works with the the jets and the bombers here in Winnipeg. And he actually reeled back in his chair and was like, looks at me and goes, what were you doing? And I was like, I was running a catch a pop fly in center field. And he's like, wow, you really knocked it out of the park. And I, he kind of laughed and he's like, <laughs> I, he's, he's one of the leading uh, knee surgeons for all of North America. And then he looks at me and he goes, I have never seen a single incident knee injury this bad. Ooh. And I was like, oh, that's not what I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so I had surgery. Um, he tried to correct as much as possible. There was uh, like a graft taken from a hamstring to fix my ACL and tried to stitch up some of the tears in the MCL or surgery in the uh, meniscus, mm -hmm. remove the bone fragments that were stuck inside the joint and uh, did some drilling to the bones to try to promote some regeneration of bone growth where there were some issues and stuff as well. And, uh, my knee was just a mess. I was trying to be, uh, like they like said, physical health was something that was important to me. And I'd spend a lot of time uh, in the sport of CrossFit and powerlifting and was doing reasonably well within those sports. And squatting is a key component to those. And I was not able to squat anymore. And I was like, wow, this breaks my heart. Like, this is totally killing me. Um, and then I went on to play disc golf and I came home and I was like, this doesn't bother my knee. Wait a second. Yeah. This is this is pretty awesome. <laughs> so that was part of the reason why I was able to go and play regularly because despite the fact that I incurred this this pretty significant knee injury, I was able to go and play disc golf. And it not only was I able to go and play, there was something that I could engage my competitive spirit in as well and go, hey, I can actually try to be competitive in this. I compete against my friends, I compete in tournaments, I compete mm -hmm. in whatever. And it sort of was like, okay, like this is something that I can really, really latch onto and dig into. And so I, I dug into the sport that way. Um, and then again, just wanted to be connected to some sort of faith aspect of the sport in an intentional manner. So I looked into what was available. And I'll, I'll, there's a the longer story to it, but uh, at the time, my wife and I were at the church that we were attending in Winnipeg uh, was going through uh, a a six-week course on hearing God. I think that's the name of the course. It's a six-week course called Hearing God. Mm -hmm. And during the course, uh, I felt very, very clearly God speak to me uh, to speak the words eagle's wings and disc golf ministry. And I was just like, this is super weird. And then I Googled it after the that hearing God session. I was like, holy smokes, there's a ministry in disc golf called eagle's wings. Like, this is crazy. So <laughs> I went through the whole process of connecting with them and, um, have now been connected with them for a couple of years as an ambassador. Um, and it's just being able to, it's been, it's, it's tougher uh, in Canada in some aspects than it is in the United States hmm. uh, because Eagles Wings is a big ministry organization for disc golf in the U S and uh, they travel around to a lot of the major events and people are familiar with them. Mm -hmm. which does help open the door a little bit for myself in Canada saying, Hey, this is, I'm a representative of Eagles wings. They are on the pro tour and they do chapels. I'm coming to your event in so-and-so city or so-and-so town. Can I host a prayer time or a chapel time um, 
at your event? And most people have had said yes. Uh, there's been minimal attendance at, at most of them, mm-hmm. but that's okay. Um, I'm totally fine with that. Uh, it's just getting connected and, and trying to grow the piece. But as far as how it is um, manifested on the course is just in, I think, in how you play, how you communicate, how you talk, like, again, similarly said to um, uh, how you're dealing with some of the athletes as well, right, is that uh, your behavior is going to be part of it. And then I will be the first to admit that I have struggled at times because my competitive, I get really competitive and sometimes my competitive yeah. spirit can just, and I need to put, I need to check and go, okay, you need to, need to just refocus right now because you're, mm-hmm. you're yep. starting to put athlete ahead of, uh, like when we always talk to our student athletes at, at college or university, we told them they were student athletes, which meant they were student first and an athlete second. Right. Mm-hmm. And I need to sometimes realize that I'm a child of God first yep. and then a competitor and athlete secondary and not the other way around. And sometimes my athlete and competitiveness gets a little too much ego or a little too far ahead of itself. And I need to reset and re- put that back in check and remind myself that I'm a Christ follower first and then an athlete second. Right. Um, but the other part about that is it was what what is really, really cool about the sport of disc golf which separates itself, I think, from other sports. This might change in the future. I hope it doesn't. But the sport of, I'm going to say ball golf or stick golf. I'm not sure. Just regular golf. I don't know how sure. you want yeah. to word that. But yeah. um, tends to be sort of a more middle class, upper class um, sport Absolutely. Um, for a variety of different reasons. Yep. Whereas disc golf is the term that's been, termed I've heard a couple of times is it's for all ages, wages, and stages of life. So it doesn't matter your social status, your economic status, yeah, um, any of that stuff. Anybody can play disc golf because it's for almost every course, it's free to play. Um, you can go and play with one disc if you have just like a regular ultra star disc that you can play using ultimate frisbee as well for 10 bucks, not even. You can go and play disc golf, right? Wow. And that's a PDGA yeah. approved disc, right? So, um, I mean, you can get into it and like I've got free. I've got so many discs right now. Like at the, it's just kind of taken over where I have like literally a closet full of discs right now. That's awesome. Um, but you don't need to. And what, what the sport has, what, because of that, the sport has, I've played in tournaments where I've been on a card where it's been myself and a doctor and a guy who's going to jail on Monday. And it's just like in no other sort of sporting realm, are you going to have these three characters walking through the woods together for two hours in communication and close proximity and just talking about life together. It's, it's just not going to happen. Right. And so disc golf has this really unique ability to connect people from, like I said, all ages, wages, and stages of life and bring them together. And you're going to be like, for the next two hours, this is your card mates and you're going to play together. Right. Yeah. And you get to know so many different people. Like I've, I, uh, I don't know if you know this part, but I uh, attempted to break the Guinness record for the most courses played in a year. Oh. So I traveled around. Yeah. So I traveled around. I played in, uh, I think it's nine different countries that I was able to play in in a year, uh, playing wow. over I think 120 courses that I played in, in nine different countries. Wow. Uh, and I've played with everybody from, like I said, like leading, leading doctors. Like I was one of the leading uh, pediatric doctors in the United States to uh, like gun proud gun carrying white supremacists in some of the southern United States to like just your average person 
Wow. And I played with everybody. Like I like that story of a guy going to jail on Monday is 100% true. I was playing <laughs> with a guy and he was like, I just, I'm really excited about this round, this tournament this weekend. Cause I got to go to jail on Monday. And I was just like, okay. Right. So, um, it, it just allows it yourself to be able to connect with people that you might not otherwise have the opportunity to connect with if you didn't make it an, an intentional part of your life. Totally. And just the, the ability to have honest conversations with people. Um, Cause people, inevitably people, Oh, what do you do? Well, this is what I do. And I'm actually part with Eagles wings. Have you heard of them before? And it's just, it, it really, it really facilitates an easy conversation to have with people um, while you're on the course with them. Right. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really cool. So quick, quick off-topic question. Uh, what was your favorite country to play disc golf in? In <laughs> Why? This is the question that everybody asks me. What's your favorite course? Where's your favorite place to play? Um, and I think people are expecting that, like, I'm going to say something like Blue Ribbon Pines, uh, like one of the like big tour courses that's played in, uh, in the States and like that yeah. everybody loves playing. And don't get me wrong, Blue Ribbon Pines is a, is a great course to play, as are some of the other courses that I've played. For some reason, the course that stands out in my mind actually is a course that just my wife and I, just the two of us played together in France. Um, and it was... Uh, it was, it wasn't anything special, honestly. Like I've played harder courses. I've played better design courses. Okay. But this course, this course, I don't know if it was the fact that it had a little bit of everything. It had some shorter holes, some longer holes, some elevation change, some woods, sure. uh, some really unique basket placements. And I don't, maybe it was just the mentality thing of that. It was just my, my wife and I were the only ones on the course. I mean, it had a driving range and had a putting baskets. It had like, uh, like, a a clubhouse and everything like there was there was a lot of good components about it that made it a more of an elite style course that other places don't necessarily have yeah yeah, but yeah. my wife and i were the only ones on the course that day oh wow the sun was shining it was blue skies and we were on like a we were in france in the summer and i was like maybe that all played into it but for me it was just one of the most memorable experiences and i really enjoyed the course itself playing the course was really fun mm -hmm. Um, and so that's the course that I generally tend to tell people is one of my favorites. Now, I have different holes. Like there's a hole that I played in um, in Rotterdam, Netherlands. That's probably one of my favorite holes to play. It's a very urban uh, uh, hole. It's actually been featured on UDISC. Uh, it's underneath uh, a train, like a, a train bridge kind of thing is the best oh, way to describe wow. it. Cool. It's just concrete columns. So instead of trees as your tunnel, it's concrete yeah. columns. Oh, you're wow. trying to throw down it. And the basket is at the end of all these concrete columns. And there's just wow. just graffiti everywhere. Um, in in like downtown Rotterdam. And I'm like, for me, that's one of my favorite holes to play. I've got to play that course for probably a half a dozen times now. And yeah. every time I step up the tee box of that hole, I'm like, this is one of my favorite holes. It's not a I mean. There's a, it's challenging because that tunnel is really tight and it's all <laughs> to throw down. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's just, it's, it's just enjoyable to be like, this is a different, like, and I know that it may, might seem strange because a lot of the reasons that people play disc golf is because of the getting outdoors. Sure. And this is being like a very urban concrete sort of style. But I think part of it is because it's a, such a unique hole that I've never played anything. Oh, totally. Like it. Totally. Um, that that stands out to me, but yeah, the, uh, so far the course that, is the most memorable for me is that one in France that I played and like I said I think it's probably connected to 
all the other elements that were surrounding it, not necessarily just the course itself. Because if I really think about it, I'm like, oh, maybe that course was harder, or that course was more challenging, or that course had some cool features. But um, that's just the one that stands out to me. <laughs> that's awesome. And what's so cool about hearing that story, Mark, is I'm always blown away as as I chat with people and hear about how God redeems hope, right? Where, okay, yeah. you know, with your knee injury, maybe there were all sorts of certain things that you weren't able to do. But how cool yeah. is it that in your story, it's it's disc golf, in somebody else's story, it's this, in somebody else's story, it's that. I'm always just so blown away and so thankful for how God is always redeeming hope and it's never gonna yeah. look, it's never gonna look the same for each person, yeah. right? I mean, yes, it will look the same in that he's the redeemer of it, yeah. but how yeah. he does it is always so unique and wonderful and beautiful. And yeah, I, I just think that's so cool that for well, you. Well, even just, yourself. yeah, to tie this to one of the first things I said and I repeated a couple of times, and it's just maybe this is what God wants to communicate to the people today is that what looked like death for me was a traumatic knee injury. Mm-hmm. became my greatest victory in that I traveled to nine different countries yeah. and played 120 disc golf courses and I didn't pay a penny for any of it. Right. Wow. And not only, not only that, I've got to connect with so many different people and I've got mm-hmm. to connect with people from around the globe. I've got to connect with so many different disc golf communities and uh, it's just, the sport has been life-giving to me, but I know that it is also, I would have never have picked this right? This wouldn't have been my choice. Mm-hmm. I would have been like wanting to continue competing in different sports, like lifting related type sports. Um, and I wouldn't have necessarily picked this. And when this happened, this knee injury happened for me, I said that I can, I think I can truly equate that to like, this looks like death for me. Totally. God said, but I got a different plan. Right. Absolutely. And I got a plan that like, you could never even fathom that what I'm what we're going to be able to do with the sport of disc golf. Yeah. And that's, and it's just, it's continuing, right? Like I had a phone call this morning, a business phone call this morning about disc golf and how there's opportunities to be able to even almost make a living at doing some of this stuff. Now it's just like, I would have never in a million years thought of this, but God has a different plan and God has a way of redeeming some of these things. And I think part of it, now, I'm not going to say, I don't want to, I think it's bad theology for me to say that God caused my knee injury because I don't believe that at all. But I think there's things that do happen to us. Totally. Um, and then God takes them and goes, hey, watch this, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's just like, holy smokes. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? So, yeah, you know, I, I always liken it to God is... I always liken it to God has a pen in his hand and he's always writing. Yeah. And the story's never over, right? Yeah. And, you know, there's there's words, there's sentences, there's paragraphs, there's chapters that are brutal. And like we've like we've said on this podcast multiple times, there are going to be events that absolutely look like death. Yeah. But keep reading. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Keep reading. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And, you know, like those things that look like death are going to turn out to be your biggest victories. Yeah. So that, that is so cool. It's a tough one, though, because like when we look at the story of the resurrection and we look at it now, mm-hmm. we know the answer. Right. We know the end of the story. And so we can look at it from a place of hope because we know the end of the story. Right. 
would we look at it from a place of hope if we were the followers of Jesus in that time, right? Would we have still, would we be able to look at it from hope or would we have responded the same way that they did? I would like, I, honestly, I, I think, I know that I probably would have responded the same way and been like, oh crap, mm-hmm. I thought he was the Messiah and he was gonna, and now he's gone, right? Totally, totally. And I think that, but but as Christians now, 2000 years later, we look at it and go, oh no, yeah, there's hope. There's like, yeah. Sunday's coming, right? Yeah. yeah. We know that Sunday's coming, right? Yeah. And the same thing. So there's things in our life that are going to happen where the knee injury happens or fill in the blank. Each oh, Anybody listening yeah. to this, you could fill in the blank with your X, Y, Z, what your piece right here. What is the, what is your quote unquote death? You fill it in for your personal story, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If you were to look back now, if you were to take this moment and go, okay, I can look back on this moment now. It's been about three years since my knee injury. And now I can look back on it and go, wow, God kept writing. Like, wow, look at the hope in this story, right? Totally. But that's totally. because I can have that retro perspective and look back on it. Yeah. What What's the really, what I would really want to challenge myself to, and hopefully the listeners as well, is that don't just have that hope from that retro perspective, but have that hope in the now perspective, Amen. right? Amen. And so, yeah. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Mark, I would be a million times over uh, (laughs) if I didn't ask this next question. Okay. As a huge fan of Settlers of Catan, um, I I would regret it deeply if we did not talk about your book, Catan Strategy, A Complete Guide to Winning the Popular Game which last I checked was a top three seller on Amazon under board games. So congratulations for that. (laughs) Thanks. Where did the idea for this book come from? And what was the process like writing the book? And how did, how and where did hope come into that mix? Like walk us through that process. So (laughs) I guess there's a couple of things is the the question that, uh, that, one of the questions that's been posed to me and that I like to pose back to other people is how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time, right? So if you want to write a book, you don't have to try to think about writing the entirety of the book all at once, write it a little bit at a time. And that's, uh, that's, that's how I, that's how I was able to accomplish it as well. Uh, but when I was in Bible school, uh, Bible college in early two thousands, I, uh, our, one of our professors and uh, challenged us to write down goals for our life. And so I, I can't remember all of them. There's a couple that I can't remember, but one of them was to write a book. And so the adage goes, write what you know. Yeah. And I was like, well, what do I know? Like, I know lifting and I know training and stuff, but there's been a ton of other people who've written about that. Yeah. And I'm like, what is there that I like, what is it that people would want to hear what I have to say about? And I was like, well, I know a fair bit about Catan and I've done pretty well and played in a lot of stuff. And uh, let's see what happens if I write about Catan. So I took a look at what other people have done for other uh, other gaming sort of books in the similar genre. Um, I mean, this is a somewhat of an aside, but uh, I've also placed in the top four uh, for Monopoly championships here in Canada as well. Uh, and so, yeah, so I've I've had a lot of gaming experience, and so I've read through a lot of other gaming books and what have you as well. And so I took some of the the knowledge that I've gleaned from how those were structured and what have you to be able to sort of help create an outline for myself. And then, yeah, just, again, just working, sort of working 
smaller pieces of time going, okay, how do I want to structure this book? Right. Mm -hmm. And so uh, just working in a little, okay, well, I need an introduction to what the book is about. I need a conclusion. Okay. So those are two pages that I can have it in. And then I go, okay, well, what else do I want to include in here? Okay. Well, I want to include something about trading. I want to include something about building initial settlements. I want to include, and then, so I just started to, and then as I would uh, processed it, the idea came to mind of being like, hey, okay, wait a second here. Why don't you have 12 chapters? Because the dice rolls go from two to 12. So th those would be the hey, numbers of chapters. And I was like, oh, that works perfect. So, okay, now that now I know how many chapters I'm going to have. But what are each chapters going to be? And then the title of the box, it says Catan, uh, Trade, Build, Settle. And I was like, well, there's three chapters right there. There's going to be a trade chapter, a build chapter, and a settle chapter, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I just started breaking it down into those kind of chunks like that. Um, but yeah, and that's how that's how that came about. And it's it's a combination of I don't know if you've had a chance to read the whole thing yet or not, or but it's a combination of personal stories um, and my experiences playing in various of some home games, some tournament games of Catan, and then integrating uh, different strategic pieces and, and thought processes behind it. And for me, that's a big that's a that's a sort of a coaching philosophy piece. I know some people have written to me and said, well, you didn't talk about this or you didn't talk about that or you could go deeper into depth about this or didn't really explain what to do in this particular these types of particular situations and i i have done that intentionally because this is again a coaching philosophy for myself is is that i don't want to give you answers i want to give you tools and i want to give you problems and i want to have you use the tools to solve problems and part of the reason is that is that you might find a different solution than what i was going to come up with right and so I don't want to say in situation X always do Y yeah. because I don't, there's, there's, you've got to account for other things that are going on in the game totally. and other people that you're playing against and all this type of stuff. And so what I'm trying to do throughout the book for the most part is give you tools so that when you're presented with problems within the game, you know, have a toolbox to draw from and say, this is the tool that I can apply to this situation rather than saying, because I know that there's other books, like I know there's a, there's a gentleman that I've actually played several games with. He's himself has played in the Canadian Championships as well, um, and done well. Who has published a book of scenarios and said, okay. "Here is these scenarios, and these are how you could navigate these scenarios." And there's actually now the the online community has grown quite significantly, and uh, that there is people who are saying, "Oh, if you are faced with this as a starting board, what do you do? If you're faced with this." Uh, and the people around you have seven points. What do you do? If you're here, what do you do? If you're in this situation and you have these resources, do you buy a dev card or do you save up and do this and this and this, right? So there's now these people that are putting out all these scenarios yeah, and, and trying to go through them almost like um, like chess. Here's, here's the situation. How do you put somebody mate in four moves, right? Sure. And so now people are going and doing this with Catan. And I think that that's great that people are processing the game at that cognitive level. Totally. Um, but what I would want to see more is giving people the tools to be able to solve those problems rather than just facilitating different answers to the problems. But anyways, sure. that's just my, that's my own coaching sort of philosophy. Sure. Um, the whole piece is within this is that I, I, I'm trying to think about this a little bit because I, I think that there's part of it in, oh man, I struggle with this because my coach and my athlete are, are how I am as a coach and how I am as an athlete is a little bit different or how I am as a coach. And I'm going to change the word from athlete to competitor are a little bit different. Yeah, totally. They tend to be a little bit more um, 
when I'm when I'm a coach, I tend to be a little bit grounded. When I'm an athlete, I can get I get pretty wound up, and for the most part, that's helped me be successful. And I do the same thing in Catan. I can I get pretty um, like I struggle with this because there's nowhere in the rules that says I can't lie, right? So if somebody asks me, "Hey, yeah. do you have this for trade?" No, I don't. When I clearly do have it in my hand, right? Yeah. Um, and so I struggle a little bit because I'll win games and people, and then I've asked myself, and this is something that I wrestled with personally, um, is going, how is, how I conduct myself as a player at the table, affecting my ability to minister to these other players at the table as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a story, there's a story in the book that I talked about playing in a tournament in Edmonton. I won the tournament, went through the whole thing undefeated and tournament round Robin and and then all the semifinals and finals games without losing. And then I think it was, I can't remember if it was a round robin game or, was, or I think it was a round robin game. Um, one of the guys finished playing with me and just said, like, that was the least fun I've ever had playing Catan. You made this game not fun for me, and I'm going to go home and sell my copy of the game. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I won, and I didn't break any rules. Yeah, sure. But if I was to walk up to this guy and go, hey, now let me tell you about the a God who loves you and desperately wants to be your friend. He's not going to want to listen to what I have to say. Right. No. <laughs> no. So I've had to really try to be a little bit more conscious about how I, how I play uh, because yeah. I have played pretty ruthlessly uh, with the objective of winning as the main piece. Um, but then understanding how that potentially affects my ability to communicate the gospel with people, mm-hmm. um, how that could be impacted in a negative way. And so I've had to, had to really, had to really process that. Um, and that's something that I'm still probably wrestling with, if I'm honest. Totally. So, totally. Yeah. totally. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, Mark, if any of our listeners wanted to find the Catan Strategy book, your lifting book, uh, any of your other books, where could they, where would they be able to find that? Do you have a website? Is it on Amazon? Yeah, they're, uh, both books are on Amazon. Uh, so if you look up Mark Oxer, both of the books should come up on Amazon. Uh, the, the Catan book is available as an audio book uh, on iTunes um, and Audible. It is also available on Kindle and on paperback. And then the lifting book uh, called Preparing for Lifting Performance. It doesn't actually tell you how to lift at all during the book. It's all about the soft skills. Um, uses the coach-athlete relationship as a foundation and sort of builds off of that, talking about soft skills, goal setting, reflective practice, performance field profiling, a lot of different things. Uh, that's also available at Amazon through uh, Kindle and paperback as well. Yeah. Awesome. So, awesome. Yeah. Great. Um, now, Mark, just uh, just kind of as we land the plane and uh, wrap up here, uh, what is what is one thing that you're currently reading or watching or listening to uh, that's helping you maintain hope and you would find yourself most likely to recommend to somebody else? Uh, There'd be two that come to mind. Uh, So my, the church that my wife and I attend in Alberta and that we're still, uh, I would say connected to and part of the family for, because we're, our plan is to only be here temporarily in Winnipeg. Um, 
is our is our church community and our pastor has done a lot. So not just the Sunday morning messages, but also those are available online for sure. Um, but then just the the community piece as well, where we have small groups that we connect to on a regular basis. Um, but not just church small groups uh, where we're getting together and sharing as a men's group or a women's group or what have you. Um, but we also do things like financial peace university together. Um, oh, cool. and those types of things as well cool, cool. Uh, so for me that's been something that's been really encouraging uh, I really very much have valued our, our pastor and his leadership during through the time he's been very encouraging for myself um, he's also a very creative minded person and has tried to navigate this uh, situation in very creative ways uh, to still be able to engage people and so again that's just been something that's encouraging for myself um, now, I know that not everybody's going to agree with this next one, um, but for myself, I enjoy uh, Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church as okay. well. Yep. Um, and I know that not everybody agrees with, uh, with his theology or what he's trying to communicate, but for myself, I really appreciate the fact that he has um, continued to continue to do church, um, and that he's tried to continue to produce his, him and his organization have continued to try to produce new worship songs and again just really try to, to drive the bus in this time to keep encouraging and keep hope alive for people uh, during this time. What I've also found really interesting and I think um, when I was listening to, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, listening to the podcast with your friend from Kamloops Alliance Church there, yeah, is that um, I know that uh, Furtick has mentioned this in, in some of his messages that his time, the, the church has actually received more in the time of COVID than, and then any other time. Yes. And the same yeah. thing with our, with our church in Airdrie as well, uh, venue church in Airdrie is that just said like the ability when other churches are, or organizations are struggling, mm -hmm. he's like, we've had access and yeah. we've been able to give out of during this time and it's just been that's just been super encouraging as well right so totally. and i think that that's also cyclical as well right so that totally. people are seeing like oh man yeah like this is this is going well and so i want to be part of this positivity and giving and then it just kind of again it's a monster that feeds itself but in a positive way right so yeah absolutely absolutely and mark uh one more time sorry that was venue church in airdrie alberta Yep, Venue Church in Airdrie, Alberta, Pastor Corey Cope. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, Mark, this has been rich and full and wonderful. And uh, yeah, and also just a lot of fun. Um, so I want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank you for your time, your honesty, your vulnerability with us. And uh, yeah, as you are placed exactly where you're supposed to be in this season, maybe not necessarily where you want to be, but I really believe where you're supposed to be in this season. Uh, mm -hmm. I just pray God's grace and peace and joy uh, over you, my friend. And thank you so much for this. Yeah. Thank you for this opportunity. It's just, it's been a real pleasure to be able to, to share this opportunity with you and uh, yeah, to process these questions personally beforehand, but then also together with you and hopefully give encouragement to some others. So I just, again, really thank you for that. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. Yeah.